Hi there, and welcome to the media ministry of River Bible Church. I'm Pastor Dustin Daniels, inviting you to visit our website to download today's sermon notes. You can sign up for our newsletter and also submit a prayer request. We would love to pray for you and answer any questions that you may have. For more information, visit riverbible.org. Now let's open up the Word of God together for today's message. Well, good morning, guys. If you would, please open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 23 through 25 today as we continue our study of Matthew's gospel verse by verse. Uh, If you're visiting with us or if you don't have a Bible, we do have Bibles in the back there for you. That's our gift to you. We want to make sure that you've got God's word in your hand. As you turn to Matthew chapter 4, let me review from last Sunday. We saw how Jesus, he called Peter, Andrew, James, and John into full-time ministry. And we learned why Jesus called so many fishermen uh, to be his disciples. A couple key points from, from last week. Number one, we said that God always calls his people to do his work. All throughout Scripture, we see God choosing people. Number two, we talked about how Jesus never intended to save sinners alone. So Jesus was in a perfect community with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And and now God the Son is showing mankind how to have that same kind of community here on the earth. Number three, we said Christianity is not only a set of teachings to understand... But Christianity, it's a person to follow. It's a person to follow. Christianity is not about a set of rules to try to keep God happy. And aren't you glad? That's impossible, right? We've all tried to keep the Ten Commandments. We've all failed miserably. Christianity is also not about a certain denomination. It's not whether you're Baptist or Pentecostal. What does matter is Jesus. Jesus. Christianity is is not about religion. Jesus hates religion. And Jesus proved that to us, didn't he? By choosing fishermen from Galilee over seminary students from Jerusalem. That's just a little taste of that. So last Sunday we saw Jesus set free four fishermen who were a slave to the grind. And he called them to fish for people. And now these men, they are evangelists in training. I want you to think about this. These men, they are being trained by God himself to be evangelists. Isn't that cool? God himself. These men are eyewitnesses to the teaching and the preaching and the miracles of Jesus. So what's all that mean for us today? Is there any relevance between Jesus' words and his actions 2,000 years ago and your life at this moment? Well, let's find out. If you would, please stand for the reading and the honoring of God's word. Starting in verse 23 of chapter 4. 
Now Jesus began to go all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Then the news about him spread throughout Syria. So they brought to him all those who were afflicted, those suffering from various diseases and intense pain, the demon-possessed, the epileptics, and the paralytics, and he healed them. Large crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. And this is the word of the Lord for us here at River Bible Church this morning. Thank you, guys. Please have a seat. Well, let's take a deeper look here at verse 23. Now Jesus began to go all over Galilee teaching in their synagogues and preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. So in in verse 23, Matthew summarizes the three main aspects of Jesus's life. We've got teaching, we've got preaching, and we have healing. So let's look at this closely here in verse 23. Jesus began to go all over Galilee. So Matthew takes us away from the beauty of the Sea of Galilee from last week, and he shows us how Jesus is he's now a traveling teacher and preacher. Jesus doesn't expect people to, to come to him. Jesus goes to them. And he doesn't go only to a select few either. Look at this. Verse 23, Jesus, he began to go all over Galilee. So all over. Jesus, his, his work was not limited to the city of Capernaum. That's where he now lives. He's now traveling with his disciples from village to village and town to town. Uh, The picture here in verse 23 is that Jesus is in a rhythm. He's teaching, he's preaching, and he's healing. These are repeated and continuous actions as he visits each town. Matthew is most likely not suggesting here that Jesus went to every single village in Galilee. Uh, If Jesus did that, that would have taken about six months because there's 204 Uh, towns in Galilee itself. But what Matthew is probably hinting at here is that anyone interested in seeing Jesus, they wouldn't have had to travel far. They could travel a little bit and see him. Now think about that. The sheer physical drain of all of this must have been absolutely exhausting. Jesus is traveling from town to town. He's facing the same problems, the same sickness, the same disease, the exact needs over and over and over again, right? It's the same problem with different people. Galilee has over 200 towns, averaging 15,000 people per town. Cottonwood has 13,000 people. It's a lot of people. So can you imagine hundreds and even thousands of people trying to get to Jesus so he can solve their problem every moment of every day? Verse 23 continues, Jesus began to go all over Galilee teaching in their synagogues. Jesus was a teacher, didasco, teaching. It's to impart skills or knowledge to someone. It's to carefully communicate Specific content from one mind to another. Didasco. And Jesus not only did that, but 
Jesus also taught people how to unlearn things as well. You know, we need to unlearn. We need to undo some things that we were taught incorrectly so Jesus can teach us about the true things, about the right things, about the heavenly things. Verse 23 continues, Jesus didn't just teach, he taught in their synagogues. A synagogue is a place for a congregation to gather and worship. The word itself, it means a gathering place. So most towns with 10 or more Jewish families, they had a synagogue. So what's that tell us? We see the importance of a synagogue, don't we? Um, they were places for prayer and the, and the study of Scripture. But synagogues, they were really much more than that. They were the, the central institution of Jewish life. The synagogue is where, yes, they studied the Hebrew Bible. It's where they, they studied the Talmud. Uh, the, the Talmud is a collection of Jewish texts, really oral traditions from the rabbis. Um, so the local synagogue is where the Jews, they learned to read, write, and do basic arithmetic. It was also a place of advanced study for theological matters. But the synagogue was also a central hub for legal matters. This is where they, they also took care of their politics as well. Most synagogues were built on a hill, often on the highest point in a town. Uh, many had a tall pole pointing into the sky so people could see, obviously without the cross. Um, and the whole point of, of the location and the architecture of the synagogue was to make them stand out so people could find them as they were traveling. So how did the Jews go about their worship service? I think you'll find this fascinating. I love this. Worship was held every Saturday. That was their Sabbath. Today is our Sabbath, right? Um, their change of day didn't happen at midnight, at 12 midnight like it does for us. Their days changed at sundown. So their Sabbath began on Friday night at sundown, ended on Saturday night at sundown. And during their worship service, sections of the Hebrew Bible, it would be read. And that text of Scripture would then be taught and illustrated line by line. How do we know this? Well, they follow the example of the priest Ezra, and we learn this in Nehemiah. Let me show this to you. Nehemiah chapter 8, verse 1. They asked the scribe Ezra to bring the book of the law of Moses. So that's the Hebrew Bible, right? That's the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Uh, we've got Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So they brought the book of the law of Moses that the Lord had given Israel and the priest or the scribe Ezra brought the law before the assembly of the men and the women and all who could understand and listen. So the children were with the parents and the rest of the church family. Verse 3, he read out of it from daybreak until noon. You guys weren't here at like at 5 o'clock in the morning. Note to self. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. The scribe Ezra stood on a high wooden platform made for this purpose. And Ezra opened the book in full view of the people, since he was elevated above everyone. And as he opened it, all the people stood up. Wow, does that sound familiar? Did we just not do that? I love it. I love it. 
Ezra taught the scriptures expositionally. That the prophet Isaiah said the same thing. Look at this. Isaiah 28, 13. The word of the Lord will come to them. Law after law. Law after law. Line after line. Line after line. Just a little here. Just a little there. Wow, what a coincidence. Once again, we got our mission statement nailed to the wall outside, and it says experiencing God verse by verse. I love that. Obviously, I'm a lot more excited about this than you guys are. Everybody contain your enthusiasm, please. After the rabbi was done teaching in the synagogue, they would pray and then they would sing. So all that to say this, as a visiting rabbi, Jesus would be invited to teach and preach in the local, in the local synagogues as he traveled. So back to verse 23. Now Jesus began to go all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the good news of the kingdom. Preaching is different than teaching. So if teaching explains a message, preaching proclaims it. Caruso, preaching, proclamation. It's, it's to herald something out. It's to cry out a certain message. Now, it is vital, the message that the preacher preaches, right? So what's Jesus preaching? Verse 23, he came preaching the good news of the kingdom. So Matthew's gospel is written for Jewish Christians and the lens through which he writes is that Jesus is a king. That's Matt's focus here. Jesus has a kingdom, and he is indeed a king. And the good news of the kingdom is that the long-awaited Christ, the Messiah, is finally here. The one human ruler who is chosen and anointed by God himself, he's going to establish his rule and his government and his administration on earth. The kingdom of God, that phrase there, that, that means that there are no more politics. <laughs> there are no more elections and runoffs. There's no more ballot counting or political debates. There's no more finger pointing and blame. There's no such thing as, as left versus right. God's ways are up. Verse 23, Jesus began to go all over Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. So we mentioned that Jesus was not limited in the location to where Jesus was ministering, but now we see that Jesus was not limited in his type of work. Verse 23 says, healing every disease and sickness among the people. So Jesus didn't only heal a few people. Jesus healed every disease. So nothing was too complicated for Jesus. So the question becomes, now wait a second, how can a man heal every disease and sickness? Well, one of the ways in which Jesus demonstrates that he is God is through healing and miracles. Brings us to key point number one. Jesus' miracles, they served as messianic credentials. Jesus' miracles served as messianic credentials. 
messianic, this, this Messiah, God's anointed man. So in other words, Jesus's miracles, they were verification of his deity. Now, there is a significant point to, to really kind of grasp this morning, because apart from the reality that Jesus is God, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. And we see Jesus back up his words with supernatural works. Matthew is exhibiting our gospel writer here. He's showing Jesus's kingly power. Jesus has a power unlike any other man. Jesus's works prove that God the Father has anointed him to be king over the earth as God the Son. So, no sickness is too hard for Jesus to cure. No problem is too difficult to relieve. And in the kingdom of God, there are no hospitals. So for those of you who are medical doctors and nurses, sorry, you're going to be out of a job. All to the glory of God, of course. Now, why miracles? That's the big question for us this morning. Why miracles? Why supernatural healing? The New Testament displays the, the connection between the kingdom of God and miracles. They go hand in hand. They're, they're two sides of the same coin. So let me give you a couple examples here. Matthew chapter 10, verse 5. Jesus sent out these 12 after giving them instructions. And he said this. He said, all right, all right guys, don't take the road that leads to the Gentiles and don't enter any Samaritan town. Instead, I want you to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And as you go, I want you to proclaim. I want you to preach and here's what they're preaching. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Kingdom of God. It's the same thing. Kingdom of God, kingdom of, of heaven. Then, he said, heal the sick and raise the dead and cleanse those with leprosy and then drive out the demons. So pause. Because this is super cool, right? I mean, do you guys see the connection between Jesus' message and his healing miracles? There is a correlation here between the two we don't want to miss. Let me, let me give you another example. Jesus is teaching the religious leaders. He says this in Matthew chapter 12. He says, all right, guys, if I drive out demons by the spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. In other words, now that Jesus is here, now that God walks on the earth, everything changes. Jesus is not only addressing human brokenness at its deepest level, he's brought the cure. Jesus is not only talking about, talking about the brokenness, because talk is cheap, right? Jesus is the cure to human brokenness. The cure is himself within the kingdom of God. So what's the result of God's kingdom coming down from heaven to earth? Look at this. Verse 24, then... Then the news about Jesus spread throughout Syria, so they brought to him all those who were afflicted, those suffering from various diseases and intense pains, the demon-possessed, the epileptics, the paralytics, and he healed them. So Matthew's pretty subtle here. He says the news spread. Yeah, that's an understatement. Can you imagine the confusion and the frenzy at the same time? 
all this news going around, um, and then everybody's confused, and then there's some kind of hope. Wait, wait a second, you're telling me that this guy can heal my boy? Well, we got we to gotta get my boy to go see this man, right? So Jesus didn't need social media. The news spread so fast and so wide that Matt said it reached Syria. Now, Syria is a Gentile region just north of Galilee. It's about 60 miles north of Capernaum. It's a three to five, it's a three to five day walk. That's if you're healthy. Imagine how long it would take if you're traveling with people who are sick and lame. So by Jesus healing the Gentiles here, Jesus is making a profound statement. And the statement is this. The gospel is for everybody, regardless of social status, race, language, nationality. So verse 24, so they brought them. They brought, they brought to Jesus all those who were afflicted. So that word afflicted there, anyone who has a, a physical sickness or a mental illness, they brought to Jesus. Jesus healed them completely and totally. Verse 24 continues, those suffering from various diseases and intense pain. So anyone who had, listen now, anybody who had an incurable disease, Jesus healed completely totally and instantly. And if that wasn't enough, they brought the demon-possessed, the epileptics and the paralytics, and he healed them too. So demon possession, notice here how Matthew distinguishes the spiritual disease of demon possession from humanity's physical and mental diseases. Epilepsy, those having seizures, so it's common for someone to read this text or some of the, the, the demon-possessed narratives of Scripture and for people to say, well, you know what, the person's not really demon-possessed. Um, they've got epilepsy. That's just a sure sign of epilepsy. But as we can see here in this, in this verse, the people in the first century, they carefully distinguish between the two. The third group, the paralytics, that's a people with a wide range of physical ailments and crippling disabilities. And because Jesus was able to heal every kind of sickness and disease, and he did it not in stages, he did it instantaneously. There's one, there's one miracle narrative where he does it in two stages. And it wasn't it wasn't for him, it was for somebody else. That's a different story. So Jesus healed every kind of sickness and disease instantaneously. And verse 25 says this, large crowds followed him from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. So we've got large crowds. We've got a vast mixed multitude of all these people. Once again, didn't matter what race, tribe, tongue, they all come, they all come to, to see Jesus because everybody has the same problem. We all have a sin problem, and sin manifests itself out in many, many ways, but the root, the root cause is sin because we're all going to die at one time or another, and sin is the cause of that. 
Decapolis, the, the, name, the name itself means ten cities, Deca. Um, the ten cities, these are all, once again, Gentile cities. The Decapolis is where Jesus healed, remember this, uh, he healed a man full of demons. His name was Legion. And after Jesus healed him, Jesus told him to go home. He didn't want to go home. He wanted to stay with Jesus for obvious reasons. Um, but it just so happened that this ex-demon-possessed man became the first evangelist throughout the Decapolis. And he did such a good job of evangelizing that it really set up Jesus for the supernatural feeding of the 15,000 Gentiles in Matthew chapter 15. Beyond the Jordan, that phrase there, it probably refers to areas that are south of that Gentile region. So we're getting further and further away from Israel. Um, it's probably east of Jerusalem, the city of, of Jerusalem, and the area of Judea. So once again, all of these areas are outside the nation of Israel. And Jesus gives us these details to, to show us the impact of Jesus' teaching and his preaching and performing all these miracles. Now, I want to wrap up today's sermon by, by talking about miracles. And, and miracles from a biblical perspective. Not, not these so-called miracles from the self-proclaimed faith healers today. I'm not talking about these guys. Um, what we call miracles are not the same as what we see throughout the Gospels. The, our very definition of miracles is different. Um, and let me confess to you <laughs> that it, it does grieve my soul and it does anger me when people today say that they are faith healers or they're apostles. And I'll tell you why here in a minute. I, and, and, you know, I didn't even know that I had this angst in me uh, until we were preaching through Mark's gospel a couple years ago. It took us about two years to get through Mark's gospel. And as I was going through all of those healing narratives, this subject matter kept coming up, didn't it? Y'all remember that? So over the past two years, I've had all this stuff rattling around in my brain. And it occurred to me that as we study this passage, you know, if we don't have our theology on center with biblical theology... Uh, especially when it comes to healings and miracles, we're going to have a big problem. Does God still heal today? Yeah, you bet. Look at this. James 5.13. Is, any, is anyone among you suffering? He should pray. Is anyone cheerful? Well, praise God. He should sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? He should call for the elders of the church. They are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will raise him up. But if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So what's all that mean? It means that God will heal anyone at any time, anywhere, but only when he chooses to do so. Let's not forget here that the biggest miracle that anyone can ever see today is a changed life. When God turns a sinner into a saint. Y'all with me? All right. See, if we, don't, if we don't understand why Jesus healed or why Jesus cast out demons, our theology becomes subjective. 
It becomes our opinion. Because we just, we think something and we're going to splash our thoughts with a, a Bible verse that I'm going to yank out of Scripture and it's taken out of context. And no matter how sincere we are about this, we will be sincerely disappointed if we don't understand a biblical understanding of miracles and supernatural healings. You know, there is a reason that when you study the book of Acts and you look at the epistles, healings and miracles, they do become less and less. Jesus gave the apostle Peter the, the power to heal. In fact, Jesus, uh, Peter had so much supernatural healing power that his shadow healed people. Remember that? Acts chapter 5. The Apostle Paul, he had so much healing power, he healed the crippled as well. Um, <laughs> the Lord Jesus gave Paul so much supernatural healing power, he's preaching one night, and he's preaching, and he's preaching, and he's preaching for hours and hours and hours, and one guy sitting on a ledge on a windowsill, he falls out. He falls asleep while he's preaching. He falls, hits the ground, and he's dead. Boy, will that stop a Bible study. <laughs> That's a deal breaker there. And yet, the Lord used Paul to bring this man back to life. Now, that's crazy. And we have to pause and think about this. Why did Peter and Paul, along with the select apostles, have the power to do all of these miracles? What's the reason? Let's start with why. So let me ask you, why couldn't the Apostle Paul heal himself? Remember, Paul had, he had several physical issues with his own body. Why couldn't Paul heal Timothy? Why instead did Paul tell Timothy to drink a little wine for his stomach? Why a human remedy? I ask these questions because there is a unique role of miracles in Scripture. E even in the Old Testament, miracles were sparse and they were unique. A, uh, a pastor friend of mine says this. He says, if miracles were normal, they would be called normicals. <laughs> miracles are not normicals, right? They're supernatural. And this supernatural power has, has been given to only a select few with a very specific reason Looking back at, at Moses and Joshua and all the supernatural stuff that they did, that lasted 65 years. Elijah and Elisha, two amazing prophets, that lasted 65 years. Very, very specific time frame and purpose. Jesus and the apostles, that time frame, 70 years. So out of all biblical history, there are only about 200 years where God empowered certain men to perform these miracles. So we get back to the New Testament, and all we have to do is read through the epistles, and we, we see how these miracles declined through the apostolic age. Now, where am I going with all this, right? Once again, if we don't have a biblical understanding of why Jesus healed in the New Testament... We're going to fill all this stuff in with our own view. And guys, this is really dangerous. And it becomes not only dangerous, but it becomes wicked. It becomes wicked when you watch these so-called faith healers on TV 
or on social media. Because it, we're watching these guys and all of a sudden, we start to ask questions like this, right? Well, wait a second. That God healed that man's spouse. Why didn't he heal my, why, why didn't God heal my spouse? That man on television, he just healed that child. What about my child? What about my best friend? Why did my best friend die? What about my, what about my neighbor? How come all this stuff is happening on television? Do, do I not have enough faith? Is that what's going on? I mean, after all of these years of being a Christian, do I not have enough faith, God? 20, 30, 40, 50 years of being a Christian. Are you mad at me, God? Did I do something that I'm not aware of? Am I not forgiven? Am I not forgiven? Am I, am I, am I doing something wrong? God, am I even saved? Are you punishing me? See, it's those kind of questions in the diary of your darkest days to where you may be tempted to walk away from Jesus. And dear friends, I don't want you to walk away from Jesus. So let me give you the short answer to why only a select few had the supernatural power to perform miracles and healings. Starting with Moses, Joshua, Elijah, and Elisha. These men performed miracles to prove that they were divinely appointed. Miracles establish credibility as one who speaks for God. These men didn't speak about God like I am this morning. I'm speaking about God. These men, God was speaking through them, and they wrote it down, and that's why it's called Scripture. These men, they also pointed to Jesus. They foreshadowed Jesus. And then Jesus finally shows up, right? So once again, why did Jesus perform miracles? Three reasons. Well, there's more. This is the overarching reason. Number one, to validate his gospel message. He is confirming what he is saying is true. Number two, to prove that Jesus is God. He's not just the son of man. He is the son of God. He stepped down off his throne in heaven and became his own creation. If you can figure that one out, let me know, because I'm still trying to wrap my brain on, around that. And number, and number three... To establish the kingdom of God. That's why Jesus performs miracles. He is establishing his kingdom. But the problem is, is that Israel didn't want the kingdom. Because they crucified the king. And when Israel turned their back on Jesus, there wasn't a reason for these miracles to continue. So the, the physical kingdom of God is, is temporarily a spiritual kingdom for all of us who trust in Jesus. And that's why we see miracles and healings fade throughout the book of Acts and the epistles. So we fast forward to today. 
Once again, why am I going on a little rant here? Well, I want, you, I, I want to warn you of watching these self-proclaimed faith healers fill stadiums full of people. And they put on, a, a, they put on quite the show. And they say that miracles happen all the time. They quote scripture. They pray in Jesus' name. I watched a guy yesterday just to have some idea of what's going on. And he's bringing these guys up on stage and he's laying hands on them and everything is so dramatic. And he's supposedly going to heal somebody and he does this. <sighs> like he has this internal power to do that. And he says, the faith healer says that this guy's healed. Here's my question. Aren't these guys missing the whole point of why Jesus healed in the first place? Are, are today's faith healers, are they announcing the kingdom of God? Because that's what Jesus was doing. So what are they doing? What are they trying to prove? That's the sheepdog in me. All right. I want to protect you from the wolves and they will devour you because if you start believing what they say, they will destroy you. They will destroy your family and your home. Lastly, I also want to remind you that when you start to question God's love for you because you're going through a really dark season in your life. Guys, I just want to remind you to run to the cross. Run to it. Because God's love was proven there. His own son, God himself, taking your place, conquering sin and death, and then he walked out of his own grave. Whenever we start to doubt, whenever we start to get angry, Whenever we start to, to get all sideways, dear friends, run to the cross. Amen? If you would please stand for this morning's prayer and, and benediction. It comes from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and your soul and your body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. Guys, he is. He who calls you is faithful. And he will surely do it. And all God's people said, Amen and amen. Dear friends, we've got fellowship to the left. If you would like uh, prayer, if you have any questions, we have a prayer room through the foyer and to the right. May God bless you.